0: Oh, good morning again, everyone. It's good to be here. I'm always amazed at how the Spirit orchestrates how people bring things, right? We look at the scriptures themselves and we see a very uniform theme all throughout the scriptures. We've got multiple authors, and yet there's one who has inspired them all. And uh, I was just thinking about. Um, the teaching this morning and some of the things that Reese talked about, and there's going to be lots of overlap there. So I thought that was very encouraging. Um, we are about to finish off chapter 15 of First Corinthians. We've got one more chapter to go, and we're through the book. And uh, it's been super beneficial for me. I hope it's been beneficial for you. And uh, yeah, so let's uh, let's pray. And then we'll get into verses 50 to 58. Lord God, we praise you for your word again. We thank you for its truth, for its encouragement and hope, and how it compels us to love and respond to you. We thank you, Lord, that it is light for our eyes, for our eyes, sad for our soul. Um, We want to rest in your word, Lord, to understand it and do it. So... Bless us with eyes to see, ears to hear today, that we would interact well with your word and that we'd understand In Jesus' name, amen. So, grab your Bibles. Let's go to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to start in verse 50. I'll just wait for you guys to get there. I'll be reading from the CSB today. If that's of any interest. Everybody ready? Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 and on. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. And when this, incorrupt, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Quote, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, Immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. The word of the Lord today. Alright, so Paul gives a reasonably lengthy excursus on resurrection and our final hope. And this is how he caps it off. Uh, Last week, Isaac talked a bit about the nature of the resurrection body and what that might be like. He talked about how a seed goes into the ground and it comes out as a plant. So something goes in and that same thing comes out but it's changed. The initial state is different than the final state but what goes in comes out. That's what's important. And he talked a bit about how Jesus being resurrected had a body. He could eat, he could be touched, he was communicated with. We see this in John, we see it in Luke, we see it in Matthew in various places. Um, the disciples bow down and they, they grab hold of Jesus' feet. Thomas puts his hands to touch Jesus' scars in his feet and his side, his hands. Right? So Jesus was corporal when he was resurrected. He had a body. Okay? And yet... As he ascends to heaven and you see heavenly visions through John, there's this miraculous aspect of Jesus that's revealed to us. Right? So, very physical and yet Jesus shall never die again. He is glorious and there's all these beautiful things about Jesus that say that he is the first fruits, and we shall be like him one day. So, resurrection unto eternal life is In a mystery, physical, and yet the physical body that we have now will be changed. So when Paul starts this passage in verse 50, he says something perplexing, okay? He says, what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit corruption. Let's just ask a question for a second. I'm going to open the floor. Um, When we think of the phrase, uh, flesh and blood... Who here takes it kind of literally, in, in the sense of physicality, right? Like, we have flesh, we have blood, right? And Paul tells us we're going to be resurrected, but in this phrase, he says, flesh and blood can inherit the kingdom of God, right? And Jesus was resurrected as a physical being, so how does that work, right? Does, does that phrase maybe kind of cause conflict for you when you read it? Or maybe hard to understand? Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I never, I never really saw it as a conflict that Jesus was raised in flesh and blood, and f- flesh and blood could not inherit the kingdom of God. I just never put those two things together mm-hmm. as like a. Well, that, I never. It's like Jesus was raised in flesh and blood. I, yeah, yeah. Amen. But I figured that it was kind of an immortal flesh and blood. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. So the reason why I'm posing this question is. In the first century and today we have various teachings and heresies that say that you know Jesus was not resurrected in a physical body he was a spirit when he was resurrected that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach there was also people in Paul's time Philetus and uh, Hymenaeus who had said that the resurrection had already happened right and then it was just a spiritual resurrection right later on we'll, we'll see that, that Paul says this mortal body what we have now has to put on immortality. It has to put on incorruptibility. And only when that happens can the saying be true where death is your state, right? So I want to unpack this phrase, flesh and blood. And it's interesting that, Reese, you talked about flesh and blood in John 6, right? Because this is going to explain it. So, essentially, flesh and blood is, it's an, it's an idiom, it's a, a merism. Do you guys know what a merism is? No. Um, Heaven and earth is a merism. It's a phrase that basically talks about the whole, right? So we have heaven and earth, it means the whole creation, right? Flesh and blood is mortal humanity, right, in a, in a simple sense, okay? Um, and we're just going to go through some, some scriptures, okay? You say mirrorism? A merism, M-E-R-I-S-M, okay? Because I was thinking, like, mirror, like, heaven <laughs> is reflected in earth or something? Yeah. And also yeah, it's a literary device. So flesh and blood is idiomatic for natural, sinful, mortal man, right? In his natural state. It's not literally skin and bone that they're talking about. Yes, we have skin and bone and we're we're of flesh, but that's not the point of the phrase. Okay? So let's look at usages of flesh and blood that aren't talking about the fact that we have muscles and skin and bone. So we're going to go through a few passages, and then we're going to look at how how does someone who is flesh and blood inherit eternal life. Okay? So let's start in Galatians chapter 1. Again, this is just phrases where that idiom is used, so we can get an understanding of it. Okay. So this is Paul speaking in Galatians. This is verses 11 and 12. And then going on to 16 and 17. So, Paul is defending his apostleship and he says this in verse 11. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Paul is saying that that Jesus spiritually revealed things to him and it wasn't taught by other people. Later on when we go on, he tells where this happened. This is verse 16 and 17. It says, But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I could preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Okay. Um, depending on your translation, there's a, there'll be a marginal note there. And it's literally, I did not consult with flesh and blood. Right. He says in this translation that I didn't consult with anyone. But... The Greek is flesh and blood. It's the same phrase. But, um, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and I came back to Damascus. Okay, so Paul's not talking about flesh and blood teaching him as, as in a sense of, of bone and, and skin, but people. Right? People generally, and it was it was a spiritual revelation. Okay, so that's the contrast there. Uh, another reference, uh, Matthew sixteen. We're going to bounce around just a little bit here. So this is Peter's confession of Messiah, and uh, let's just start in thirteen. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because... Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. So this wasn't regular human knowledge that came to Peter. It was God teaching Peter directly. That was how it was revealed to him, right? So it wasn't through the the avenue of regular humanity and teaching, right? And that kind of base knowledge that he had, but it was a revelation. So the Father in Heaven reveals Jesus as Messiah. And it wasn't natural human sources. And we see later on that as the Spirit comes, Jesus says that the Spirit would later testify of Jesus. If we read in John 15:26, When the Counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Right? So this spirit is a spiritual truth that's taught to the disciples, and by extension, us, not, not flesh and blood, in that sense. Okay? Ephesians 6:12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Right? So it's the spiritual things in high places that we're wrestling against. Now what does this mean then, and, and what are the other ways in which the flesh is shown to be a disqualification for the kingdom? Because Paul says that flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, right? So we have this idea that flesh and blood isn't, isn't just like our physicality, but it's this idea of humanity in its lower state, okay? So wh- why is it that the flesh can't inherit? Well, what does the flesh do? Well, it produces a fleshly lifestyle. Let's look at chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians. We were just there a couple months ago. (laughs) Thinking about that, we've spent several months in this book now. So what does the flesh produce that disqualifies us from from the kingdom? So starting in verse 9 of chapter 6, 1 Corinthians... Paul says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy, abusive people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. that's basic carnality Galatians chapter five the spirit desires what is against the flesh these are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want but if you're led by the spirit you're not under the law now the works of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality moral impurity promiscuity idolatry sorcery hatred strife jealousy and on and on it goes Okay, and uh... For sake of brevity, we're we're starting to see what the flesh does, but if you look at Romans chapter 7, for example, and Paul talks about his wrestle with the flesh, right? The flesh might even know what is good in God's law, but it has no power to do it, right? And when we get to chapter 8 of Romans, Paul describes how the spirit supersedes the flesh so that we can be alive. So I guess let's, let's just go there and we'll finish this this image of of the flesh. So starting in Romans 7, verse 5. Speaking of the flesh, it says, for when we were in the flesh, so Paul's talking to people who have come out of the flesh and have been reborn, and have become followers of Christ, he says, For when we are in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. Right? So the flesh and its sinful passions aroused through the law work in us to bear fruit for death. Fleshliness has a weakness for being sinful. And no unclean thing will enter God's kingdom. That is why those who are sinful are excluded. But the Spirit gives us newness of life. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us, so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. So this is just a a quick thing here. So... As Christians we have flesh and bone but we're we're not in the flesh anymore we're in the spirit right we're still walking as physical beings and yet we have newness of life because of the spirit remember when when Reese was talking about John six about how the eating of the flesh was to come to Christ and to drink the blood was to believe right and later on in in John 6, after that whole dialogue, Jesus retreats with his disciples, and they're, they're confused about it still, to one degree or another. And Jesus explains, he says, listen. He says, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, he asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and are life. Right? So you can be in the body and yet made alive by the Spirit. So the flesh on its own is no good. Right? So Christ, he talks about his flesh being consumed, right? Well, what was Jesus' life in the flesh like? He did everything that the Father wanted him to do. He was sinless. And he was resurrected. So we can be in the flesh but alive in the Spirit and experience the same thing that Jesus has. And that's, that's how we talk about um, substitution in, uh, in Christian theology, about how Christ died in our place. He had to be in the flesh. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. It says that Christ had to share in flesh and blood, like humanity, just like the other children, us, so that he could redeem us out of that state. So, when Paul says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, he's saying flesh and blood alone cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It has to be made new by something right which is the spirit so let's let's move on then and what I'll do is i'll give a bunch of other notes for scriptures um, so we don't go on and on to this rabbit trail about it so Paul lives in the flesh yet by the spirit we live in physical bodies that has that have a weakness towards sinfulness and yet because of faith because we come to Christ and we believe in Him, we're given the words that are spirit, that are life, that give us newness of life. Paul says in Philippians 3, uh, verses 18 to 21, he says, For I have often told you that, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, they are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from here, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will, listen to this, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So we need to have a transformed body at some point, whether we've corrupted into dust or being changed at the last trumpet. So this is what this is all about. And this is why Paul says the incorruptible, or sorry, the corruptible must put on incorruption. It's a change. The transformation of the body of flesh and blood so that it becomes incorruptible. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's move on to the rest of the passage. Before I do though, can is there anybody that has any questions that need clarification on just the phrase where I'm going? Just want to make sure everybody's tracking. Okay. Well, to me. Go I, ahead. Sorry. It makes sense because I mean if you depended on your flesh, right? So then that would mean if you're blind, you couldn't see Jesus. Yeah, there's all sorts of things. You're well, essentially, yeah, it's you relying on yourself, right? And that's the essence of the law. The essence of the law is us trying to keep the law for, for works, and there's no faith involved. It's just our own flesh and, flesh and blood, right? And we're, we're called to move away from that and put faith in Christ. So then, let's, let's move on. So starting in verse 50. Flesh and blood alone cannot inherit the kingdom. Our mortal sinful bodies... And those characteristic to it need to be enlivened by something else. The flesh and its desires produce death and destruction. And therefore in itself through sinfulness is corruptible and cannot inherit the kingdom. Verse 51. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. Paul says all a couple times. And he says we a couple times. Who are the we and who are the all that are going to put on immortality and incorruptibility? Who are those that are going to be changed so that eternity will be in their grasp? Christians. Christians. Very good. So here's, here's another... Avenue in which this passage sometimes gets misused and it's it's in the doctrine or I'll would, I would call it a heresy of Universalism and if you go back to the middle of the chapter about Christ's resurrection guaranteeing ours and says but as it is Christ has been raised from the dead the fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through a man the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So does that mean that because Christ was raised, literally all people will be made alive in resurrection like Christ? If you take that scripture just certainly, by itself, certainly not what it says here. No. If, if you take that scripture by itself and just read that, Some people will say, see, everybody dies in Adam, right? In Christ, all will be be made alive. So everybody gets saved in the end. But they they don't read on. And they're dishonest about it. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits; afterwards, at his coming, so at the end, those who belong to Christ. Those who belong to Christ. That is the all that Paul is talking about at the end of the passage. It's all those who belong to Christ. So immortality is conferred to those who come to Jesus and believe in him. When is it? It's at his coming. This is another way to look at uh, controversy about the end times and controversy about when the resurrection is going to happen. So Paul says, all will be changed at the same time, it's in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Right? So you can't say that a resurrection happened, you know, seven, well, what would it be, 1900 years ago, in around the time of 87, it was just spiritual, right? Number one, our bodies are corruptible, and we're still mortal. But number two, that would mean that there's a whole bunch of people that have been resurrected from that time spiritually before everyone else. But Paul says we are all going to be changed in the moment, right? It's not this progressive thing that happens over the millennia. Every single person, all, get changed together. Maybe in the open period we can talk about implications for that with other forms of eschatology, but I don't want to belabor that point. So in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed." When we look at the Scriptures, it's amazing how much those themes are reiterated over and over and over again. If we go back to John 6, what what does Jesus say? What does he say about eternal life? So he talks about everyone coming to him and believing. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of the one of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those that he has given me but, listen carefully, should raise them up on the last day. That's for everyone at the last day that belongs to him. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So for Paul, that trumpet and the last day are synonymous with what Jesus was teaching. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. There's this idea, and it's pretty common, that heaven is out there, and it's immaterial, non-physical, and when you die, that's where you go. And that's your forever home, right? And there may be a narrow sense in which, if you look at the time between your death and your future resurrection, a waiting period with Christ, Okay, but I'm talking about the view that heaven is just out there and it's non-physical. <laughs> okay? Paul says, no. This mortal body, this corruptible body must put on immortality and incorruptibility for there to be the saying, death, where is your sting? Right? He's, he's putting it in strong terms to make us remember that our hope is in resurrection. That we are the life that we live in the flesh to the spirit matters because what goes into the ground as a seed is what comes out and is changed, right? So it's not escape from the body and it's not the abandonment of the body for another body, like reincarnation or something, right? It's like what goes in, who you are, your identity is preserved. You go into the dirt, but you come out and you are changed, right? You are clothed. Your person, who you are, is clothed with incorruptibility and immortality. And Paul says this is necessary. This is the only way that we inherit eternal life. And he says when and only when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, When that saying, or sorry, when that happens, the saying that is written will take place. And he quotes from Isaiah again. This is chapter 25 of Isaiah. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory. Where death is your your sting. And he also quotes uh, Hosea um, chapter 13, verse 4. Uh, The Hosea um, quotations, I think the main one. I'm just double checking here. Yeah, so when you read Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, it says this, I will ransom them from the power of Sheol. Okay? I will redeem them from death. Death, where are your barbs? Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. I'm going to go on just a little small tangent, just for a second. So, uh, the word Sheol there, in uh, chapter 14, or sorry, verse, verse 14, Sheol is is the the biblical concept of the grave, generally speaking. And in Hebraic thought, it was a place of darkness and inactivity. And that's where everyone went, right? And that's people were held in death. Um, When the Old Testament in its Hebrew language was translated to Greek for the first century readers, um, that word Sheol was translated as... Hades, or commonly referred to as Hades. Remember how we were back in Matthew 16 and Jesus asked the disciples who they thought he was? And and Peter says, You're the Messiah, right? You're, You're the Messiah and the Son of the living God. And this is a spiritual revelation. What's really cool is that after that, Jesus gives this promise. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now I think this passage is actually a resurrection passage. So remember how I said Sheol in the Hebrew was later translated into Hades in Greek. So, Sheol represents death and the grave. Can the grave hold us if we're in Christ? No, no. and this, that is what Jesus is promising. He's promising listen, my church, my assembly, those who belong to me, the gates of Hades, the gates of death, will not hold them. We come out of death and we are resurrected in glorious, immortal bodies. So, there's a parallel. am going to get back to the passage here, flipping around. So where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Ever think about death in a personified sense, as a, a venomous being that is out to destroy us and kill us? When a venomous snake or, or an insect stings you, bites you, what happens? Eventually, you die, right? And so the stinger of death is sin. Right? When we are stung with sin, we will die eventually. And the power of that sin, that venom that brings us to death, that holds us under the power, Paul says it's the law. The law is what? secures our guilt and makes us liable to that death, that beast. Thank God that we have died to sin. I want you guys at some point go home and read chapter 6 of Romans, chapter 6 and 7 because it talks about us dying to sin in Christ, right? and Being made alive again and the cool thing is that At the end of that passage, Paul says that the wages of sin is death. And yet the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that we used to be enslaved to that sin and death, but we've been set free. And as you go on to chapter 7, it says we have died to sin and we've been married to another. We're now married to Christ. We are given the Spirit and we have life in us. Go on all throughout chapter 8, and it's about the Spirit giving us life. Galatians 6 talks about how when we sow to the flesh, we reap destruction and death. But when we sow to the Spirit, it produces eternal life. So this whole dance of living life in our fleshly bodies is about living to the Spirit. Because as we walk in the Spirit, it produces life in us. And that spirit is the guarantee of the inheritance. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that those who have believed when they heard the gospel were were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that is the guarantee, sometimes translated as down payment, of our inheritance. And we wait for a time when that inheritance is cashed in. the, The cashing in of the inheritance is resurrection to eternal life. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the encouragement. Because we know that Christ was raised, that we have the Spirit as a down payment, that we can sow to the Spirit day by day and and have eternal life, we we can live in hope. And Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast. So what does he mean by being steadfast? The image of sitting, part of, part of the word usage of steadfast in the Greek is, is sitting. What is Jesus doing right now? He finished his work and he sits at the right hand of the Father, right? And he doesn't move. He will reign until all of his enemies are made his footstool right? So what does Paul say to the Christians in Corinth? He says, sit, just like Christ has rested, you rest in Christ. Be steadfast, sit in Christ, rest in Him. Second thing he says is be immovable. So don't stray from that place of resting in the Spirit. Don't don't stray and go to other places. Don't don't be turned from your hope of resurrection. This is very, very, very important. When Paul said at the beginning of the passage, I deliver to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was raised on the third day and then he appeared to the disciples and on this is of first importance that Christ was raised and we shall also be raised like him so this little piece of theology that we've learned in the last three or four weeks this is bedrock we cannot move from this this is a an understanding that needs to go deep into our souls because it, it, it touches to our, our mortal lives right now. Right? What we do in the flesh matters because the Spirit produces life in us. So that means we should pursue the work of the Spirit. You know, when we, when we take communion every week, we're pursuing that righteousness. We're pursuing Christ, that belief. We're coming to Him over and over again. Like Paul talks about enduring Enduring through suffering, enduring in faith. This is what he's saying here. Be immovable from that. And then always excelling in the Lord's work. So again, whatever you do, whatever your hands touch, do with all your might. Um, Some translations say overflowing instead of excelling. But it's this idea of your life should be a testament of excellence to the Lord's work and it should overflow it's it's such an abundance that wherever you go the Lord's work is exuding from you. It's from your thoughts and your passions and your interest and your effort it's overflowing for the Lord's work. As you rest in Him that's the, this is the beauty of Christianity you can rest in Christ's work day by day knowing that it is finished Right? We don't have to rely on the law to be made righteous. We're already made righteous and as we walk in the Spirit, the law is fulfilled. We don't have to move from there. And as we do this, the Lord's work overflows. And we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. We wait for the day for resurrection. We see the work of the Spirit. And I'm going to leave you with... Uh, portion of Romans 8. Just as an encouragement. It's going to start in verse 10 of Romans 8. Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, that's that flesh aspect, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. So here we are in the body, it's dead because of sin, and yet we have the spirit, and we will be given life even though we've sinned in the body. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we're not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God, And co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him. So that we may also be glorified with him. I'm going to pray. And then we'll open it up for more discussion. Father we thank you for your word. I am so encouraged Lord. That you say the same thing. To help us understand. In many ways. In various places and at various times. We see that. You speak of resurrection in the prophets, in Isaiah, Hosea, and other places, Daniel, some thousands of years ago, and later you speak of it in the Gospels, and the epistles. Through many different writers, but one author, we come to understand that the life we live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave us gave us his life that we may live I pray that all of us Lord would invest in our time that we would follow your spirit that you would produce fruits of righteousness in us that it would grow into eternal life and that your kingdom would come in us and around us as we faithfully pursue you and as you Lord in your perfect faith grow us we look forward to the day when all things will be made new when this body of corruption will be clothed with glory and honor and power and immortality. And we trust in you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. There was one other thing that I, I was going to mention. It's just a parallel event in, in Revelation. So essentially, Paul's language of the defeat of death, it's also spelled out in Revelation, end of Revelation chapter 20 and through chapter 21 about how this all happens but the, the vision of it is all at the end when there's a transition of the age and immortality is put on John says in Revelation that death is done away the former things are done away with Right? Paul says that's at the end so this is, this is all at the end that this happens, it's all together so yeah um, any thoughts? Any musings about implications about those who are not in Christ in the end? These are things that you should maybe think about at some point. Because resurrection and how we inherit immortality through the gospel has implications for those who are not in the gospel. Since eternal life is something that's uh, conferred to us in our body. And it's not something that is a spiritual thing in terms of being disembodied, but it's actually being joined to Christ and being given a new body. So. That reminds me. There's a kind of a classic Christian statement that people. It's one of those coffee cup statements where it's like the earth is not my home. I'm just passing through. Yeah. Where in reality, it's heaven will not be our home. We'll just be passing through. Yeah. Right. That's that's where we pass through. This is our home. But the creation groans because it's waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. And that revealing being us transformed, yeah. changed, yeah. made new so that we can have a enjoyable home on this earth for eternity. Yeah. Our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Yeah. What Paul says. Yeah, if you're not joined to the Spirit when you die, if you're not sealed, then there's no guarantee of being raised like Christ. And without the Spirit, there's, there's, there's nothing that can make us immortal. Right? We, we will remain immortal. There's other passages that talk about the resurrection of the just and the unjust, um, but we didn't, we didn't get into that today. It'll be a conversation for another time. But suffice it to say that the promises that are made to those who are in Christ are not made to those who are outside of him, right So Jesus talks about there being a time when those in the graves awake from the dust, those who have done good things unto the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation and he's, he's vamping on Daniel 12, right so It's almost almost verbatim quote of Daniel 12, so some slight differences there, but yeah. it's important that everybody knows that uh, the devil came to steal our souls from God, so we just got to keep him doing the God hmm. otherwise he will steal our souls we came to destroy, right? and He wants us to sin because the result of our sin is death and destruction, right? He tempts us to sow to the flesh, right? We're tempted by the things that our flesh wants, right? And our weakness, the law tells us about things that are wrong, and we become aware of the things that are wrong, but because we have no power in our flesh, we do them. So we need the power of the Spirit to do what Christ would have us do. Good. All right. Bless you guys. Have a great week, and we'll we'll see you next week.